0: Once upon a time, there was a girl called Ella, and she saw the world not always as it was, but as perhaps it could be, with just a little bit of magic.
1: Welcome to the graveyard slot, where we talk about movies past their prime time. Here, we
0: revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should
1: stay buried.
0: I'm Sohini.
1: And I'm Sarah, and today we're talking about the live-action remake of Cinderella and comparing it to the original animated movie from 1950. This 2015 movie is one of the first of many Disney live-action remakes. It is, of course, based on the well-known fairy tale following a girl who escapes her wicked stepmother and stepsisters and marries a prince. It was directed by Kenneth Branagh, who did Thor, Death on the Nile, and Murder on the Orient Express. And the screenplay was by Chris Weitz who did The Golden Compass, Rogue One, and the 2022 Pinocchio. Hmm. Can I just say, this collection of movies does not bode well for Cinderella 2015.
0: I was gonna say, some things are falling into place. (laughs) It's a mishmash, but somehow they all fit together to form an interesting picture. Yeah. Yeah. So for Halloween last year, we discussed a couple different horror slash scary movies for the month of October. And this year we thought we would delve into another different kind of horror altogether. that of adaptations and remakes. Cinderella felt like the right movie for this, considering the sheer number of times the story has been told and retold, and we decided to tackle what would become the first of, as Sarah mentioned, several live-action remakes, the 2015 adaptation of Cinderella, to see how it compares to the original, what it did differently, and whether it truly deserves its high Rotten Tomatoes rating. No. The end. (laughs) It'll be interesting, I think, to deconstruct why it has such a high rating as well compared to the more recent remakes, which I don't think have been faring as well among viewers and critics.
1: For sure. Speaking of critics, I found a surprisingly high number of great reviews of this movie, but I waded through the muck and found... A less than generous review. So this is a review from The Telegraph, and it reads, Very little is out of place in Bernard's do-over, but that's almost a problem. There's a feeling throughout of going perfectly through the motions. The film is all smoothly operated crane shots, excellent hair, gleaming teeth. Originality is the glass slipper it never even tries on. That is cold. (laughs) Literally, this movie is just going through the motions.
0: You're right. It captures exactly the kind of pretty but lifeless feeling of the movie. I actually found one that was similar from Little White Lies, and it said that the movie is slightly eerie in its dead-eyed coldness, but you get used to
1: it. (laughs) That is... So heartbreaking and scary. I think this honestly marks not the start, but like the ramp up to the hollow, dead-eyed stories that is filling our world these days. That's like the mainstream now. Like the whole excellent shots, excellent hair, dead eyes, no soul kind of thing is just like what you always expect now. Not what you want, obviously, but it's like not a surprise anymore.
0: Yeah, you can definitely trace it back to this movie. It's where it all started. (laughs) At least when it comes to Disney's universe.
1: So we will be discussing this movie chronologically, as always.
0: Let's start with The 1950 version first? Yes. A book opens with a fairy tale narration introducing a peaceful kingdom where Cinderella lives.
1: It also starts with this I would assume, hand-drawn opening credits while the song Cinderella, I assume is its title, plays over it. And I will say, especially compared to the 2015 version, it's so like night and day. And like this one takes pride in what it is. It being a musical, it being animated, and obviously it's more suited to the time it was made in and everything.
0: That was a great way to put it. And I think compared to the adaptation in the original, it sets such a distinct tone for the movie from the very start like it's so charming and beautiful and it has so much personality it's like beautiful in a way that's full of heart compared to the adaptation
1: i will say the remake it's not like it starts off already being really like shitty or anything it is pretty especially in the beginning i think as the movie goes on the remake it makes fewer and fewer interesting choices in its filmography it's not like you know animation is inherently better than live action that's not true and neither is the opposite so like if we're just talking about the opening the remake is fine
0: I might be a little bit biased because I'm also thinking of it in the context of the live action movies we got later on it just doesn't stand out in any way it's just fine like it's not bad
1: necessarily it's just fine what i'm wondering is i mean i'm sure the opening credits for the 1951 is also pretty standard for its time no less beautiful or whatever but there is definitely a certain novelty that's unique for us a modern audience that's fair
0: so after the opening credits we meet cinderella and she's surrounded by these animal friends and the songbirds i really liked this little detail they pull aside the curtains at the window like it's Curtains on a stage and we get our first song in the movie, which is A Dream is a Wish, Your Heart Makes.
1: I think this is such a great number to introduce us to Cinderella and to the movie and its themes. It shows her character really well as well. Also, you immediately get a lot of attitude from Cinderella. She's grumpy about waking up, about having to face like the rest of the day. I don't know, you immediately like get a fully formed human character. Her, which, you know, I can't say the same for the remake.
0: I think that's such an accomplishment, especially considering that Cinderella in the original movie only interacts with animals for a big chunk of the movie in the beginning. Whereas in the adaptation, there are so many characters for her to interact with, but I don't think you get a fraction of the personality. And in the original, what I really like is that not only do we get a very beautiful song that serves... An important purpose in establishing the feel and the themes of the story like you said but it also establishes music as a really important part of not only the story but cinderella's story like you see her singing in key moments and especially here i feel like it's already established as a way for her to rebel against her circumstances almost because even though she has to physically get up and she has to stop dreaming in the literal sense she can still daydream and she can still immerse herself in her dreams even though she has to go about her day
1: yeah that's a great point point. one line that i really like in this song is no matter how your heart is grieving i think that just sets such a nice foundation for her character and her story you're
0: right just by the fact that she sings that and we see how alone she is you can get a really good sense of her loss that she's, you know, lost her parents and any love that she had in her life, like people who loved her in her life. And I feel like that's so much more impactful compared to what we get in the adaptation, because in the 2015 version, we actually get long drawn out scenes that center around Cinderella losing both of her parents. And for some reason, they just don't make as much of an impression. I assume they wanted us to, you know, doubly feel Cinderella's distress and her loneliness, and that's why they decided to include these scenes in the adaptation. But I feel like it doesn't add anything. Like, I don't feel extra sympathetic for Cinderella at all.
1: It's not a new concept. You don't have to, like, belabor the point. Cinderella doesn't have a personality and she doesn't have a backbone in the remake. So it just weakens the story seeing all of that happen because they had to figure out how does she get into this predicament? I think this is my problem with it, the movie positing that being so nice is always a positive trait and she's not being nice, she's just being a doormat and that's harmful to yourself and to other people. I think storytelling
0: wise it was just not a good decision to put so much exposition because as you say i think an unintended consequence is that it weakens cinderella's character and i think what is unnecessary is that in the adaptation we see how she becomes cinderella we see how she gets from ella to cinderella and we don't need that the movie takes so long to get to its point and no wonder it's so long because there's so much unnecessary fluff whereas In the original, she's already there. She's already Cinderella when we meet her, and the way she tackles the restraints and the hardships of her daily life tell us everything we need to know. There was no reason to meander so much. I feel like it's kind of ironic because in an effort to add more personality,
1: they stripped her of what little she had. On the subject of storytelling, it's like they miss the memo on like the fact that a story is supposed to say something, right? Like, the message or whatever, the themes conveyed, is only conveyed through the story taking place from the circumstances that Cinderella is in and then when she escapes. The stuff before it doesn't serve the story at all. But to bring it back around to the first song, the song itself sounds very hopeful and upbeat and dreamy and joyful in a way obviously her voice is very beautiful and like the tune itself is very beautiful but like once i got to that line no matter how your heart is grieving i realized the song has some really sad roots it's talking about a really sad feeling and that's what it's building off of and i really like that dissonance in that number she's literally lamenting it's just that the lament sounds pretty so there's that dissonance
0: yeah it stands for cinderella's attitude towards life overall like she's doing in the song what she does every day in life which is despite her dreary circumstances she tries to make the best of it yeah so in contrast in the character's introduction and the adaptation we see ella living happily with both her parents and then one day her mother falls ill and dies and on her deathbed we get the scene where she asks her daughter to always Have courage and be kind, which is a motto that Ella repeats to herself throughout the movie and applies to all sorts of sometimes inappropriate situations. It's so banal. It's so generic. But yeah, one thing that struck me as really different from the original is the source or the drive of Ella's kindness. Because in the original, we don't really have a kind of reason for her to be a nice person. She just is. But in this movie, in the adaptation, it's her mother who instills these values in her before she dies. I feel like this muddies the message of the movie because I feel like the adaptation also retains some of what the original movie was trying to say about being kind but they also add this whole thing in about kindness and courage and her mother also actually mentions that she has kindness and magic and they keep bringing these things up like in ella's introduction the voiceover says ella saw how the world could be with a little bit of magic and it's like it becomes so unclear what the movie is trying to say i agree so cinderella gets ready for the day and before she can start on her chores she finds out that there's a new mouse visitor and together with her other mice friend she rescues him from
1: a mouse trap all the way down a million staircases <laughs> yeah i really like the visual of the staircases levels my favorite thing yeah. <laughs> It also communicates the isolation that she's in. The way it's animated, it's also very like dark and dingy. Especially compared to what we later see is their chateau.
0: It's like a very tall tower in the 1950s version. And it could symbolize the moral high ground that Cinderella has over the rest of her family.
1: Yeah, I love that.
0: And there's a purpose to why... She's up there.
1: It's decent storytelling, something. The remake lacks.
0: Yeah, the feeling I get is like, it had a purpose in the original movie, and then in the remake, it's only there because it was there in the original. Like, just mindlessly copying that.
1: See, that's the thing. I feel like a decent live-action remake... <laughs> Sorry, an oxymoron. But. <laughs> an undertaking like this should be about dissecting the storytelling of the original and like what is it trying to say and then trying to convey that through a new medium and i don't know i feel like it should be in conversation with what they are adapting and like the argument that this new adaptation or remake or whatever should just stand on its own and it's not fair to compare it or to whatever is like kind of dumb like this is just what storytelling is like when you read a sci-fi book or whatever that book doesn't stand on its own it is in conversation with its genre and like an animated movie is in conversation with with the history of animated movies and, like, in conversation with its genre and, like, other movies in its genre. So, it's, like, completely fair for a new adaptation of Cinderella or whatever, especially for this one. It's, like, straight up a remake of a specific movie. It is inherently in conversation with that movie, especially because this remake is banking on the fact that it is a remake of the old version. Like, that is one of the main reasons why people are going to see it, why you are marketing it the way that it is, why you're making it in the first way so like i feel like it's very ignorant and obtuse to treat it like its own thing that's never true of any piece of work even like original movies
0: that is spot on that is such a great point you don't get to leverage people's nostalgia for a particular story and then ignore criticism or say that it's invalid when it's inevitably compared to the very material that you're i wouldn't say exploiting necessarily but you're definitely using it and you're right nothing exists in a void there's context for everything and it's perfectly fair to compare
1: so she helps out the new mouse and dresses him which is very nice and you know she wants nothing in return and i think that goes to show how nice she is because you know like part of the conceit of cinderella is that the stepsisters of the stepmother their silent argument is that you know she should be like grateful that she's being housed and closed and fed by them and that's why she needs to like pay them back and stuff but just seeing Cinderella offer this not even kindness like it's just basic decency and like I really like the symbolism I guess of seeing Cinderella save Gus Gus from a rat trap and giving him like basic necessities and you see this throughout when you see kind of like the food chain or like the ecosystem of their little household with like the mice and lucifer the cat and then the dog because they're all like prey and predator and yada yada and i like how that mirrors cinderella and the stepsisters and the stepmother
0: yes i absolutely love the parallels between cinderella and the animals in the house for instance the next scene we get is cinderella waking up lucifer the cat and bruno the dog and bruno he's been chasing lucifer in his dreams and Cinderella kind of disciplines him about getting along with Lucifer and she says that he knows orders and if he doesn't want to lose a nice warm bed he'd better quote get rid of those dreams by just learning how to like cats. And it hints at her own circumstances and that she's making an active effort to maintain a positive attitude towards her own cats i.e. her family and aside from that there's also so many parallels in the way that the animals move around the house and how Cinderella moves around the house because they're always going through these little mouse holes or they're like climbing up and down cobwebs and it's very dynamic their movements and cinderella's kind of similar she's going through these like extremes from the top of the house to the very bottom to the animals and then she's climbing up and down stairs all the time and it's such a great mirror because even when cinderella's not in the spotlight when we're just seeing the animals it's kind of like a reflection of the kinds of adversities that she's going through as well yeah i saw this review of the original movie from the 1950s the gist of it was that the mice and the animals ended up being more interesting characters than Cinderella and the prince. And on the surface, it does seem that way. Like we get so much more of the animals than I expected going into this. But in a way, we get more of Cinderella through the animals. They're foils basically of each other. Actually, I was thinking about the animals in the adaptation and I couldn't put my finger on why her animal friends in the adaptation just didn't make the same kind of impression as they do in the animation. And now that you talk about the kindness that Cinderella extends to them, especially getting Gus clothed and everything, that is missing in the adaptation. They're very much treated
1: like pets and not friends. Even the one part, That may be comparable where Cinderella has only scraps to eat and then she shares them with the mice. It's not really the same thing. It's like a shadow of what they were doing. Oh, in the animated movie.
0: They also took away Cinderella finding Gus in a trap. She just had him from the beginning and they take away a lot of the interactions that she has in the animated movie.
1: Yeah, I think like that critic, the writer or creator or whatever of the remake like completely missed the point of the animals in the animated movie. Yeah. So, like we said, the animals are much more prominent in the animated movie and with them also the humor and a million visual gags that I love But my favorite is when Gus Gus is being targeted by Lucifer and he basically gets trapped in a teacup and it's a visual gag based on the car trick. And it's not a split-second gag. Like, it goes on for a long time. And it doesn't just happen within the one setting. It keeps happening as Cinderella takes the set of cups upstairs. It's also not just one static visual gag happening over and over and over. Again, it's very dynamic and it moves the story along because we're following it as we follow Cinderella through the house and moving on to like basically the next scene. And it's just so well done and so like well crafted in so many ways. <laughs> like the gag itself is so well crafted the way it's woven into, you know, the storytelling in the script and how it should be bringing us to the next plot point basically. And what it in itself is telling us about the story. Like, the remake doesn't have a fraction of the, like, intelligence of that one visual gag.
0: That's very true and i would go so far as to say that the adaptation not only is missing any physical gags involving the animals it's missing physical gags period there are so many visually dynamic scenes in the animated version where the characters are bouncing around and there's levels <laughs> sorry like <laughs> yeah. chasing each other around and it's so interesting visually but there are certain constraints when it comes to live action as with any medium and i feel like because of the specific constraints they have here where they just compare to the kind of story they're trying to adapt again it strips it of personality because it ends up being so stagnant and so boring in comparison and they try to fill that void with jokes like in dialogue it's
1: not the same (laughs) yeah it's also like the only parts that are funny are like unintentionally funny like when the princess revealed (laughs) at the end (laughs) <laughs> but we'll yeah. get to that. That's like cardboard castle level funny. <laughs> I know. But I guess this is a good moment to bring up the fact that this remake is not a musical? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I don't know why they do this. But yeah, I guess this is the hill that I will die on. <laughs> but like, you cannot take a movie, a story, whatever, meant for animation and meant for it to be a musical and then turn it into a non-musical live action movie. Like, then what's the point? The part that we liked isn't necessarily I mean it could be but it isn't necessarily like the fairy tale itself. That's not what makes Cinderella 1950 special. And to that point we were talking a lot about how like the source material is pretty, not thin but brief. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of the animated movie is focused on like the animals and everything but that's why the original movie worked even with its brevity because it's only a little over an hour. A lot of the time is spent conveying this story through the medium of musicals and animation and that takes up time and space and the artistry of that is the meat of the movie it's almost like the source material is the vehicle for it right and so you guys are taking out the meat of the magical cinderella out of cinderella just read the fairy tale and that's literally what it is it's just like a less good reading of the fairy tale I mean, quite literally, because the narrator is talking all the goddamn time. (laughs) But yeah.
0: You handled that way better than I could have. Like, we have to highlight the importance of the medium of the original. Like, there was a purpose behind it, and it felt very intentional that it was a musical and that it was animated. Whereas with this live-action version, I don't understand the purpose behind making it live-action. But yeah, now that you mentioned the voiceover, I also have to express my annoyance that the voiceover lady would not shut up in the adaptation. Every time she butted in to talk about the most obvious things and lay things out on the surface, it annoyed me so much because it felt less like, oh, this is a story being told to kids and more like the movie taking shortcuts and not wanting to show us the important things, but rather just using voiceover as a lazy tool to get some you know generic message and theme across that they don't even succeed in conveying ultimately
1: it's also stuff that's like it's not even a shortcut at multiple points like they just told us through the movie and then the narrator says it in words
0: yeah exactly so before we move on from talking about the animals the way cinderella navigates the household And like the obstacles in her life is also quite similar to the way the mice navigate their world because it's very much a world not built for them. There's the obvious threat of Lucifer always trying to catch them and then when they're trying to run away or defend themselves, we always get a really good sense of the difficulties they have. Like there's this shot where Jack is trying to rescue Gus and he's trying to topple the broom over and it takes him a solid second to get it to fall. And there's this other part where they're trying to steal the key to Cinderella's room and you can tell that it's so heavy. And so the way they navigate this world that's not built for them is quite similar to Cinderella's because similar to the animals, Cinderella's not forcing her way. And so because of that, the things that are rightfully hers are taken away by those stronger than her. Just like the mice, they have their food taken away because the chickens peck their way through. (laughs) Again, I feel like through these parallels, a lot of Cinderella's strengths are highlighted because we see her just like the mice being strategic and never giving up.
1: Ooh, I love our introduction to the stepmother in the original because it's Cinderella going to the stepsister's rooms and then to the stepmother's room. And this entrance, like the lighting is so specific. It's very ominous almost. And like the color scheme changes. And there are these slanted lighting through the windows and then it like pans over to the mother and she's in this canopy bed and she's like shaded by the shadows and yeah and her eyes shine through (laughs) yeah and even just like the way she looks is obviously very classic villain it so perfectly captures like what she should be she's like a matron um which is i don't know why in my mind a matron is the scariest thing you can encounter (laughs) It's also like when she has just stopped by the stepsister's room, it was like kind of chaotic and they're like yelling at her and stuff. And then once she enters the stepmother's room and then closes the door behind her, it goes dead quiet and it's like muted.
0: Yeah, you're right. There's so many details in just this one scene. I really liked the play of light and shadows that you mentioned. Like, you can see the shadow of the window frame fall onto Cinderella, almost like the bars of a cage, similar to the one Gus was trapped in. And when she's approaching her stepmother her shadow falls on the bedspread almost like that's as close as she can get like she can't physically approach any closer and you get this overwhelming sense
1: of danger like you've just stepped into a tiger's cave or something lady tremaine literally is introduced stroking the back of her (laughs) cat. it's so classic bond villain and i love it she's the original bond villain forget wanting to be a bond girl I want to be Bond matron.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great introduction. And especially, as you pointed out, compared to the hubbub of the rest of the household and the pure chaos, the quiet is so creepy. (laughs) Yeah
1: there's also this moment when lady tremaine gives cinderella all of these chores and everything and then she ends it with telling her to give lucifer a bath which displeases lucifer again i really like how this conveys like the food chain or whatever
0: you're right because while she's going through the list you can see lucifer nodding along like yes you deserve this (laughs) and then ultimately he's not much better off than cinderella
1: yeah so in the adaptation after the the mom dies she grows up to be I guess a young woman and then the dad is like remember that hottie I told you about (laughs) (laughs) well I want to marry his wife (laughs) Genuinely, though, the way he breaks his news to her is so funny, and Cinderella's all for it. But anyway, that's how the stepmother and the stepsisters enter their lives.
0: One thing I kind of did like is that in the adaptation, they highlight that Lady Tremaine has also experienced loss the same way Cinderella has. And this sets her up as kind of a foil to Cinderella, because they're obviously reacting very differently to their circumstances. So I do like that
1: parallel. Her introduction in the remake, I also really like there is also that sense of like impending doom and she's shrouded in this darkness and when she enters the house she's like in shadow and then turns and then you get the first look at her and she's wearing like darker colors and like it's a contrast to cinderella's pale blue and obviously her very light hair i actually really really like that i think Kate blanchett did an amazing job in this role like no thanks to the script and the director and whatever so I hate the narrator, but she does have this one banger line about Lady Tremaine. She says, she too has known grief, but she wears it wonderfully well. Mm. And she does. She wears it really well. I kind of start to understand, like, what the deal is with the dad the weird introduction about how like she's a widow and blah 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 and now I'm thinking like that's a great threat because we later find out like she married the dad for practical reasons basically and I'm like I love this implication from this line how she wears grief well that that's how she like presents herself to you know advance in life and whatever and I just love the complexity of that and the character that it builds which I think is one of the few times if not the only time that the narration matters and like actually adds something to this story because if you only just see it yeah okay she looks great like this is a great kind of adaptation of that introduction from the original and everything but with this line it's not that she happens to look good or like this is a great visual contrast just from the language of the movie it's an intentional thing that lady tremaine the character presents and is a fact of her character within the universe itself, instead of just the costuming of the movie in the meta-narrative. My notes read, the stepmom is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) And she is so cool, because she restores life and laughter to the house. She throws parties, she plays poker, she laughs while playing poker, I don't know. (laughs) She is the life, she is the laughter. At this point, honestly, like... I don't see the harm in her. Maybe I'm reading into it, but it feels like because of the context of Cinderella and we know she's the bad guy and blah, blah, blah. It's almost like the movie kind of implies that her throwing parties is immoral because, you know, we know she's the bad guy and stuff. And this is like through that sequence trying to show like how she changes the house Possibly for the worst. I don't know. But that's the thing. I don't even know that that's what they're doing. But they're kind of putting her against the dad and Cinderella, I guess, wanting their quiet time or everything because they're contrasting her partying with him in, like, his office or whatever. If it's supposed to be just a matter-of-fact depiction of what is seen as, like, a proper lady in that time period, I think the movie fails to do that and instead is more telling of what maybe the 2015 view of women was
0: right yeah that makes sense okay first of all let me comment on lady tremaine because that is a great point you made about that voiceover line she does look amazing her styling is really great you know we've been talking about the differences between the mediums in both movies and how overall the live action kind of falls short but i feel like with the way they styled her that's as close as you can come to what the animated version had with her kind of feline vibe with the neon eyes like her styling is very sleek and elegant and Beautiful in such a different way to Cinderella. So I think they did a great job there. It really feels like they really dug into what makes her characterization so interesting and they found a way to depict that in a different medium. Also the line that you talked about, I really like the wordplay because they're talking about how she wears the grief well and it's like on the surface, it's like reflective of how elegant and beautiful she looks despite her grief. And then when you dig into it, it's more like as we get to know her, we see how she's weaponizing her grief almost. It's her using her grief, I guess, to her advantage. Because she's found herself in a less than ideal situation. So she's using it the best she can. And it's kind of like what Cinderella does, but in a twisted way, because she's harming other people and using them for her advantage.
1: It's also very in line to the whole like supposedly the stepmother and stepsisters sort are of, like vain or whatever.
0: Yes. And that brings me to the other thing I wanted to say in response to your point about the film moralizing and how that might reflect on 2015 society more than anything else. Because I'm not sure if these two things are exactly comparable, but when you were talking about how the partying and the gambling, they don't have to be villainous things. I was kind of reminded of this scene where Cinderella's dad, asks her what she wants from his travels and he's like your sister's asked for lace and a parasol and all she asks for is a branch it's not stated explicitly but i feel like we're supposed to see that as like she's not materialistic and all she wants is something simple from life whereas her stepsisters are caught up in material objects and stuff even though it's not said it feels very much on the surface and it feels like a firstly simplistic and secondly a not creative way of showing their villainy because wanting lace or a parasol like with the partying thing doesn't make you a bad person (laughs) and I feel like we're supposed to make that connection because we know that they're villains but it feels again like lazy storytelling and I wanted to compare it with a very quick shot that we got in the original movie when we're being introduced to cinderella and her dad and when we learn that her dad has remarried we get this shot of cinderella and her dad outside in the garden the camera pans up to lady tremaine and her daughters in the house upstairs looking down at them through the window and i feel like that simple shot does such a good job of hinting at their high aspirations and shows how caged in they are by their materialism as they look on from inside the house compared to the freedom that cinderella and her dad have on the outside and how literally down to earth they are it's giving us these character traits without villainizing random things like wanting to party
1: (laughs) (laughs) but on the subject of the branch line i do like how I mean, intentionally or not, it kind of conveys a really sad state to their relationship. As the scene unravels and like we hear Cinderella's reasoning behind it and whatever, she doesn't want a branch. She just wants her father to think of her and for him to come back. And it just, to me, brings to mind what is their relationship so far? She seems so deprived of love and care and company and at this point the dad is alive I don't know. There's something about the loneliness that is conveyed through this sequence where she asks for like someone out there to think of her and care about her when they're not even with her. It feels like such a human desire and one that I don't think someone fulfilled emotionally would so desperately want. The way it's conveyed in the movie is so full of desperation and sorrow and loneliness. And then it made me think like, is the dad a bad dad? What's going on there? (laughs)
0: now that you put it that way the scene does feel more interesting I guess it was just so tangled up in the morality of it that the nuance of it kind of got lost but yeah when you put it that way you can really tell that her dad might be there physically but it doesn't seem like he's available emotionally anymore there's also this line from cinderella that says he's just returned from a trip and now he's going on another one and so it seems like he's constantly trying to escape the house maybe because it reminds him so much of his wife because he tells Cinderella that her mother used to be the heart of this house. So you can kind of understand the need to escape and this also unfortunately affects the relationship he has with his new wife because in the scenes we get between them, you can tell that clearly value Cinderella and his first wife over his second marriage. (laughs) Even though Lady Tremaine did marry him For convenience,
1: I can understand that she still feels slighted. I feel for Lady Tremaine whenever she like overhears him saying some shit because she basically overhears him calling her and her kids trying, which is not nice yeah and it's also like this is another downside of them actually showing us like how all this came to be like why did the dad marry her then if he didn't like them either yeah but the dad dies and then cinderella is sent off to live in the attic and the house is overtaken by the stepmother and stepsisters the attic's fucking huge
0: the attic is interesting. I feel like in the live action version, aside from being very empty and dusty, it's not that different to the rest of the house. It's very spacious and it looks fine. Like you give it a makeover, it's a fine place to live. I quite liked that in the original version, there was a lot more contrast between the settings I felt because Cinderella's room is very small and it's a standard room. (laughs) But then when you see her venture into the rest of the house, downstairs the setting is so distinct because suddenly you see tall ceilings and elaborate wallpaper and decorations and really rich colors compared to how plain and small her room was and it's so simple but it does such a great job of highlighting the disparity basically, between Cinderella and the rest of her family. Whereas in the adaptation, it gets kind
1: of downplayed. Yeah. But there's nothing like that in the remake.
0: Since we're talking about the house, I actually really liked all the mouse holes around the house and how they travel through these little cracks. And it felt like Even in this grand setting, there was some degree of neglect which allowed Cinderella some kind of company, like a loophole around the strict rules. It required a little bit of suspension of disbelief because of the hinges and stuff, (laughs) but it was so cute. Like It felt like the mice had made a home out of this place. Yeah.
1: Oh, on the subject of the attic, one thing I do like that is so missing in the remake. It's like, the remake one, the attic looks so much like a set, I guess because it's still empty and stuff, but we never really see it decked out either, whereas in the original, we already see it turned into a home. Basically, she's already like MacGyvered her way through this, you know? Even that alone already speaks volumes to Cinderella's abilities and personality, and like the fact that she can turn this attic into her bedroom. And literally in the remake, we see her, I don't know, like with a broom or something, maybe? I don't know. It's just like they don't understand that a set tells a story. That's like part of it. Again, maybe we can trace all the bad set design in recent cinematic history to this movie. (laughs) Sterile kitchens and zero clutter and whatever in every movie and TV show and whatever. Yeah, But yeah, so the dad dies, she becomes Cinderella, which they felt the need to convey... By putting ash on her face. I just, it's so superfluous. And the narration in this moment when she's named Cinderella is very superfluous.
0: And right before that, the narration says names have power like magic spells. And it made me roll my eyes so hard. It's like they're trying to justify why she's called Cinderella and they try and explain why her family being mean to her but we get it you don't have to make it into something huge
1: <laughs> yeah
0: this happens to be the last straw for cinderella and because of this she's all upset and rides into the woods this is a second big deviation from the original story after all that extra exposition this is where she meets kit the crown prince and they have a conversation which doesn't really happen explicitly in the original movie of course they also don't meet before the ball so it's very clear what they were trying to do which is to provide more of a basis for cinderella and the prince's connection and you know maybe give him a little bit more character get us more invested in him and to some degree i guess it's fine. Like, there's this part where the prince's companions are about to call him your highness, and he panics and shouts his name. Which was funny, so I guess. In that sense, it does get you a little bit more invested in the prince than you might have been in the original movie but that being said overall i feel like this scene is kind of a misunderstanding of the original story because they're trying to give more screen time to the prince and trying to make him more likable and make the relationship with cinderella more believable but that's not the point because adding one more meeting isn't gonna do shit i still don't believe they fell in love and got married because that is still very quick it's still not realistic Thank you. the okay. cat also it feels like because they couldn't do what the original movie did with the symbolism with the animals and introducing all these themes that way like as we said the animals are kind of the focal point of the original it seems like because they couldn't do that they're trying to overcompensate and give us more of the prince and cinderella but as a result i feel like they are making these characters worse maybe the prince slightly better because you couldn't make him worse he wasn't there in a lot of the movie but it feels like they're missing the point of the original movie the movie is not a about how great cinderella's relationship is with the prince that's not the point yep they miss
1: just they miss the whole thing but yeah they give the prince a name
0: actually when they talk about names it's the only part of the conversation i liked because instead of asking what is your name they ask each other what do they call you and it's such a different question with so many implications for both of them but the rest of it felt very generic kind of like there's this part where she mentions the have courage and be kind thing i think that's what she says and kit is like that's exactly how i feel and it's like yeah every Everyone feels that. You're not special.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is their attempt at like building more of a proper relationship between them ahead of the ball. But them meeting and falling in love at the ball might as well be now them meeting and falling in love in the forest. It doesn't make for a more gradual development of their relationship. It just moves the point in which he falls in love earlier in the movie. Yeah,
0: it would have been one thing if he's charmed by her, but it's still at a friendship level or something. But he literally adopts everything she said and parrots it back at his dad and he's bent on marrying her already and it's too much, too soon. If they're trying to rectify how fast Cinderella and the prince moved in the first movie, they're
1: not doing a good job. To that point, basically there's this whole thing about how they are... Let me emphasize this. They are hunting in the woods. And Cinderella takes issue with them hurting a stag who's like her friend or something. He replies like, we're hunting, it's what's done. Which is like an apt answer because they happen to be hunting because it's just what hunting is it's just such a weird like poorly constructed scene and and conversation and whatever but it all leads to cinderella saying something to the effect of just because it's what's done doesn't mean it's what should be done and then it's as if like this is a revolutionary concept to the prince and so he like you said parrots it to the people around him and it's supposed to show like see he gets him he's a good guy but i'm like no that makes him a bad guy if this is the first time he's realized that you could you know make your own decisions or like have your own moral backbone or whatever but this whole conversation i hated a lot
0: i think they're so preoccupied with making cinderella the main character with quotable lines that she ends up spouting these very generic ideals or takes that they try to apply to different scenarios and it just doesn't work. Like I said, Cinderella mentions her have courage, be kind thing in this scene. And then later on, Kid repeats it to his dad in the context of getting married for political reasons. He says... Something like we don't need to look outside our borders for advice or for guidance. We just have to have courage and be kind to see. (laughs) And that is firstly, so simplistic and idealistic, but also it's basically nonsensical. It doesn't make sense in that context to bring that up. Yeah, I I don't know, I guess they're trying to highlight Cinderella's influence on him or something or they're trying to highlight her ideals and how they should be universally adopted maybe or, you know, how it's aspirational to be like her or something but it ends up ruining the characterization and the
1: dialogue and it doesn't make sense. It's really dumb. Can you imagine him, I guess this is Brun, so like him standing in front of parliament saying that? Seriously. Think that'll bring us food? (laughs) Exactly. But speaking of the king, in the remake he's like sick and that's why he wants the prince to marry soon. And there's this whole thing about how the prince shows interest in like a country girl or whatever and the king takes issue with that or like the court takes issue with that or whatever because he should be marrying nobility. But I miss the fun king. So let's talk about the fun king in the original.
0: Yeah, I have no thoughts on this king, so. I really love the introduction we get to this scene because the first thing we see is a crown getting thrown out the window and it leaves a crown-shaped hole in the (laughs) glass. Again, it's such a charming little detail I guess the bar is so low that when I see something like this I'm like they didn't have to do this but they did they came up with something imaginative and with something fun but yeah we see the king having a fit about wanting grandchildren and he's talking about how lonely he's become because his son has grown up and we see this progression of portraits that show the prince growing up and I love it so much for so many reasons because it goes <laughs> from the smallest portrait to this giant one at the end when he's all grown up and then you can see in the first one he's got the prince on his lap and then he's playing horsey with the prince like letting him ride on his back and then riding an actual horse <laughs> riding away from the king and then in the last one he's in this grand position and I just it says So much with so little and in such a
1: fun way. Yeah, it's another visual gag. I also love how the big portrait really dwarfs the king once you zoom out and you see all of the portraits. You're right. But yeah, the king is very fun.
0: Yeah, very animated, literally and (laughs) personality-wise.
1: Yes. And he's kind of talking shit about the princess quote-unquote silly romantic ideas and how he doesn't want to go into an arranged marriage and whatever i guess and so the king is like we'll throw a ball it's just a boy meeting a girl under the right conditions so we're arranging the conditions
0: i love that part so much because when he says that we see these books and he it's these thick heavy books by plato Homer and Rabelais, I think that's how you say it. And what the king does is he brushes them aside so he can push the bookends together and i really loved that part because it's like he's dismissing these very serious subjects so easily and so lightheartedly and it kind of hints at how his power perceived or otherwise allows him to toss aside these obstacles that might be insurmountable to others it's so quick but i love that part so much yeah it's also like he's
1: kind of very jolly but not kind i don't know that he's tyrannical but he's not like nice to his advisor guy or whatever the duke yeah the duke but he's very lighthearted about all of this so like adding on to what you said about the book to him it's all good fun but the actuality are these more serious Consequences. I really love the choice of depicting him as this really upbeat, jolly guy while he's doing this really atrocious things. Like not only the ranging of the princess marriage, which isn't necessarily evil or whatever, but even in the scene you see how he treats the duke really poorly. And again, there's that dissonance there, and it's very similar to Cinderella's introduction with a dream as a wish your heart makes.
0: Yeah, and. I think compared to what we were discussing with the stepmother's characterization in the adaptation with, you know, we're supposed to think of her as evil. So let's give her these things we're supposed to associate with evilness. Compared to that, this feels a lot more layered and you have to kind of look past the jolly veneer and then you can kind of see the almost flippant attitude with which he treats these very real people. And there's no consequences for him because he's at
1: the top. But talking about... The whole moralizing thing with the sisters and everything. We go back in the original movie to Cinderella's house. And there's the scene with the stepsisters singing atrociously. Whereas cinderella is crooning beautifully outside while she's mopping the floors and they're singing the same song so you really hear the difference and it's like the singing is telling of their characters but what i found really interesting is with the time period that this is set in it very much follows the whole you know like a proper lady should be able to have these skills yes sing or play the piano or whatever and how that is telling of one's character and value and i'm not saying like that's bad or that's good just like i think a really interesting cultural context that informs the scene that's
0: a great point and you can definitely tell that both films are very much the product of their times Because the original feels so idealistic, especially, you know, coming on the heels of...
1: The Second World War. Yes,
0: exactly. While the live action, it feels, is again maybe the starting point of something we see in movies a lot nowadays, where they're virtue signaling, maybe, or it feels like the start of that. Not necessarily in as extreme a way as other movies from this time, but
1: sort of a little bit. (laughs) No, I totally agree with you. It's this commodification of certain beliefs and ideals.
0: I guess I don't get as strong a vibe from this movie as I do from the later live-action remakes, especially ones like Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, where it's more explicit and more in your face. But certainly, it feels like with Cinderella, they're trying to make her more of a
1: strong, independent woman. (laughs) (laughs) I think like... I'm sorry to say this again... Then you miss the point. Exactly. You're completely ignoring like the context of anything.
0: And there's always been this narrative about princesses like Cinderella and Snow White not having enough agency or not being strong enough or not taking their fate into their own hands. And like you said, a lot of that ignores the context in which these stories came to be and also it's very rooted in certain ideas of what a strong woman should be like and what what being a feminist should be like and that's not fair to apply the same criteria to every single person because everyone is different and everyone reacts differently and strength means different things to different people so you can't apply a one-size-fits-all template to all these characters which is what i feel like they're doing nowadays with remakes
1: yeah To go back to Cinderella, it's funny that they... Don't explicitly verbalize the whole, you know, women should be good at singing piano art, whatever, because in the remake they do. The narration says they lacked accomplishment in any art. Isn't that such a great example of what they turned the beautifully constructed scene of the sisters singing poorly and then Cinderella singing well outside and why that matters and the historical, cultural context of that moment and the way they. F- Fucking turn that into this narrator who won't shut up just saying it, (laughs) point blank.
0: That sums up the state of the adaptation quite well, I would say. Especially because the artistry of the scene in the original movie is indescribably beautiful because while Cinderella is singing, we get this beautiful sequence where we see her reflection in the soap bubbles from when she's cleaning. And there's so much just in that because we see multiple reflections as she harmonizes with herself, which emphasizes her loneliness in such a beautiful way. And you also get the sense that while the stepsisters are in there fancy living room indulging in the arts which is like historically something afforded to the privilege we've got cinderella who's outside all alone in this giant hall and she's got to scrub the floors but even in that situation this is the tiny bit of self-indulgence she's allowed and reflecting that in the bubbles just shows how fragile it is and how it could burst at any moment it's so great at highlighting the difference between these characters and just showcasing how beautiful but ephemeral this whole scene is. And compared to how bland and on the surface everything is in the adaptation, it feels even more painfully so compared to something like this.
1: Yeah, I love what they did with this scene in the original movie it's like this psychedelic sequence and it's like yet another example of why cinderella 1950 was made if you don't get scenes like this then what's the point point? and there are more of this later on where the point of those scenes in the animated movie is to make a meal of them right to create art and in the live action it's like they don't get that. They think it's just like the words on a page. Yeah. I'm not saying, oh, you should do a shot for shot psychedelic bubbles in the air. I'm saying, what is the translation of that? The way that you translated Lady Tremaine to Kate Blanchett. Like there's an artistry to filmmaking. So do that. But they don't even do that.
0: They don't even have Cinderella singing along in the adaptation. She's in the room with them and, and the stepmother is making her do all these chores and stuff and she drops something on purpose and makes Cinderella pick it up which is so obvious whereas I really like the isolation in the original where she's shut away from the rest of them and it's again the music is like a little bit of a rebellion the little bit that she's allowed because she's not in the proper position to be pursuing it but she's doing it anyway out of I presume,
1: love for it. So, the announcement that the ball is happening has already happened. But, so, Cinderella wants to go to the ball and because it's like every eligible maiden should be there by royal command the mom can't really stop her so instead she gives her like a bunch of chores and stuff so that she can go and you know she has to like have the right dress or whatever so she does her chores and she can't really alter an old dress that she has of her mom's but the mice come to the rescue with the best song of the movie the work song i love the song so much it's a very sweet scene I think
0: comparing it to the adaptation,
1: <laughs> there's no scene. There
0: is no scene. Cinderella mends her own dress in the adaptation, whereas in this one, the mice do it for her because they understand that Lady Tremaine is purposefully eating up all of Cinderella's time so that she won't have the time and energy to mend her dress. It's so different because in the original, you really get the sense of the mice and the birds being Cinderella's friends and really looking out for her any way they can. Whereas like I said in the adaptation, it's like they're pets. It's almost like in the original, the animals, stand in for the viewers perspective almost and vocalize what we'd be thinking while we're watching and it's like because so much of the movie is through their perspective we see so much through their eyes it's like an entryway into the world through their eyes whereas they're a very underused tool in the adaptation i guess because of the restrictions of the medium as well
1: when cinderella ...emerges in her beautiful dress. Basically, the stepmom and sisters... ...badmouth her and then rip apart her dress...
0: Yeah, I really hated how they did this in the adaptation because in the original, the stepmother never does anything directly and doesn't break her promise technically. But then she turns around and leverages her daughter's horrible natures to ensure that Cinderella's dress is ruined. She makes these very pointed remarks about how the sash belongs to one of the sisters and the beads are the other ones and the stepsisters end up...
1: Doing her dirty work for her.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so the stepmother hands remain clean whereas in the adaptation they all crowd around her and start ripping away it's so overly villainous and there's nothing subtle about the cruelty it's just very
1: on the surface there's a certain finesse behind what the stepmother is doing in the original that's lacking in the remake exactly the part where her dress is ripped up is traumatizing it is terrifying. The way this is animated is almost very simple actually like it's not like super intricate but the way they put it together with like the flashing and the the hard cuts and everything, it's incredible and really hard to watch.
0: No, I agree with you and actually that reminds me that this movie makes such good use of perspective. Especially because we see so much of the action from the perspective of the animals a lot of things appear much larger than they actually are and this really helps to emphasize how intimidating and scary lady tremaine is there's this shot for example when lady tremaine is suspecting that cinderella has been to the ball we get this shot that's like her form getting larger as she looms over the camera i guess and it's like we're seeing her from the mice's perspective and it makes her 10 times more scary <laughs>
1: yeah and it communicates the power that lady tremaine has over cinderella like this is as explicit as it gets in equating cinderella to the mice yeah exactly you're right another gorgeous moment is this scene where they leave without her and cinderella goes crying and she runs through the house i cannot express how beautiful this is it's a lot of light and shadow basically it's like a black screen with little hints of the rooms that she's running past and it's so beautiful and cinderella is a small speck on the screen as she runs through these scenes of the house basically it really emphasizes how big the house is and how small she is and how this whole experience and this moment has made her feel very small and that's such an easy decision to try to translate that into the remake and they don't like none of this happens in the remake i really don't understand to me these were the height of cinderella right and they just don't do that at all in the remake she runs away and like there's nothing interesting with the shots with the cinematography they don't do anything literally she doesn't even run through rooms and rooms and rooms of the house she just goes to the courtyard
0: it was such a missed opportunity in the adaptation as well because they specifically mention how cinderella's mother was the heart of the house and this has become a a space that she's not allowed to occupy anymore at least not in the same capacity and similar to how in the animation there's such a contrast between these huge spaces and how small she is this could have been a great way to emphasize how alienated she's become in this home that she's willingly staying in just because she loves her parents and she's honoring their legacy basically because she mentions to a friend of hers how she's staying in this house she's loving it in place of her parents whatever that means but it's like it would have been a way to highlight how the space has changed around her and how alienated she's become from her home but they didn't do it (laughs) yeah but this marks the appearance of the fairy godmother
1: Yeah, so she's in the courtyard in the stripped-up dress. And in the original, she basically cries something like, there's nothing left to believe in. Which calls back to a dream is a wish your heart makes. And I think that's very fitting. And I can't say the same for this scene in the remake. It basically calls back to the have courage and be kind thing. Yeah, let me get the good
0: part over with first. This scene in the original i feel like it's where it all comes together this is the scene where the theme shines through the most for me because this is cinderella's lowest point thus far at least and on the surface she's given up. She's like, this is it. There's nothing left. I'm done. But this is where the fairy godmother appears. And the explanation for this is that Cinderella still has faith. And this is what allows the fairy godmother to appear. So it's like, even though on the surface, she's very much done, it's like her belief and her hope are so deep seated that she still does believe even though she's saying she doesn't. And to me, that illustrates the strength of her character so well because the appearance of the fairy godmother is a direct contradiction to what she's saying and they completely butcher this in the adaptation which I feel like is a result of the message of the movie being so confused because they have that sort of belief thing to some extent but then they also have the have courage and be kind and then they have a whole separate magic thing going on yeah so in the original it feels like the magic is so well intertwined into the story there's a reason for it to exist which is very closely tied to cinderella's character because it ends up being manifested because of cinderella's continuous faith whereas in the adaptation the magic feels like its own separate entity coming to Cinderella's rescue. And one thing that solidifies this for me is we see this shot of the fairy godmother outside the house before anything even happens, before they rip up Cinderella's dress. And we also get introduced to the concept of the fairy godmother very early on in the movie when the mom mentions it to Cinderella. And the fairy godmother ends up seeming like a separate benevolent entity and not a product of anything to do with cinderella it's kind of like a deus ex machina kind of situation where she just swoops in to save the day whereas in the original the magic does save her but it's a result of her own strength that manifests the magic and they ruin it
1: (laughs) that they did it's also like they ruin it further (laughs) by Like, what grants her the fairy godmother's assistance is her kindness, because the fairy godmother offers this test where she's this old hag who asks for food. And in the original, like, that quote-unquote test is just, like you said, that moment where Cinderella is still showing strength.
0: Yeah. They're trying to force that be kind thing on us
1: again, I feel like. I think that also stems from them not understanding Cinderella. They think Cinderella's whole character is that she's nice or kind or whatever. As if, like, she's helping Lady Tremaine and her stepsisters because she's kind and not because she's trapped. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. They kind of frame it
0: that way, too, that she could leave if she wanted to, but she's only sticking around because she loves the house so much. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. You're right. They completely omit the fact that she's trapped in that situation.
1: Which also I guess is another path towards having to give a reason for her to wanna be with the prince and to like develop this relationship because there is no desperate need for her to escape this trap.
0: Yeah. Anyway, in the adaptation, Cinderella spouts all these things about how she doesn't have courage anymore doesn't believe anymore. And again, the muddled message comes through. And it's so weird. This is such a crucial moment and it does nothing to hammer home the themes of the movie, mainly because the movie doesn't have any themes. (laughs) But we have the fairy godmother transform things into other things. And I feel like in the adaptation, it went on for so long. This whole sequence, it was unnecessarily detailed like the fairy godmother lists a bunch of vegetables that she could potentially turn into a carriage and it's like what is this a grocery list like get on with
1: it already you know what it is sohini i'm sorry i keep saying this they completely miss the point of the scene in the original it is part of the scene that the fairy godmother is going on and on and on and on about all of these things that she's transforming the reason for that is because it is a Joke because right off the bat, Cinderella is like, Your fairy godmother turned me into a princess. A princess, yes. But the fairy godmother is trolling her, so she keeps diverting her magic to other things, like, Oh, no i know what you need a carriage and then when cinderella's like but what about my dot 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 and then the fairy godmother was like oh yes i can't believe it. i almost forgot the horses or whatever and it keeps happening over and over and over again and she's messing with cinderella and blah, blah, and that's what's making the list because they're supposed to build for the punchline but they don't get it so they do it like as if she meant to do it chronologically
0: now cinderella's too selfless to want to dress so they, they couldn't have that. <laughs> She's not materialistic like her
1: sisters. That would be vain. Yeah. The scene is really bad in so many ways. But I was so surprised by how bad the special effects is. If I were to believe that like this CGI is unable to be better, then they shouldn't be using CGI. This is stuff you can do with practical effects.
0: One thing that is especially nonsensical to me is when Cinderella asks for her dress to not be changed because it's her mother's and she wants to specifically wear it to the ball and the fairy godmother is like, oh, I'll change it a little bit. How do you feel about blue? And then she completely changes the whole dress. It's a whole different dress. There's nothing same about it. Compared to the old one. I don't understand why bring it up. If you're gonna change it completely. Yeah. If there were a tiny detail from the old dress. That makes it into the new dress. Like if the old one had butterflies. And then we see them fly onto the new dress. You know, something like that would have made it make more sense. I feel like they wanted to highlight Cinderella's benevolence again about how she's not materialistic. She doesn't want a new dress. She cherishes her mother's old one. But then they gave her a completely new dress, so it makes zero sense. I will say, though, her dress is very pretty in both versions. Gorgeous. And not to be, you know, unfeminist, but her shoes are gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah,
1: not to be vain. (laughs) I am joking, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, we get to the ball. In the original, she shows up and she catches the eye of the prince. And so he approaches her and then they dance. And there are all of these really beautiful shots of them, like, spending the night together, basically, like, by the fountain, dancing around and whatever. And in the movie, first she arrives, like, in a very weird manner where... Suddenly everyone stops talking and looks at her and she doesn't find it weird at all. Whereas like all of the other entrances are not like that.
0: Yeah, it was very another Cinderella story, except another Cinderella story did it better. There's no reason they should immediately spot her. And it's not even like one person spots her and then it spreads like wildfire throughout the room they all immediately turn
1: (laughs) at the same time (laughs) so the prince recognizes her and dances with her and they dance and it's pretty but the original movie was so fun and i think in the original movie the artistic choices were supposed to convey a lot of unsaid things i don't actually have a problem with the dance in the remake it's very beautiful it just feels like such a prime example of this difference where a lot of things to do with the medium like the musical numbers or the animation is supposed to convey much more complex things that is stripped in the remake, it's just like the nature of the medium, I guess. In the original, I think we're supposed to infer that they were actually just dancing throughout the courtyard and around the fountain and blah, blah, blah. It's supposed to tell a story and it doesn't matter what kind of connection they made because as we have discussed, the point isn't their relationship. And in the remake, they have to make this whole thing about them like bonding and blah, 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 right? And it's like, again, it's to the remake's detriment and it's to the story's detriment that they have to figure out what these two could possibly talk about.
0: (laughs) And it ends up being these empty things, mostly. I will say I like the dancing scene actually maybe more in the adaptation than I do in the original because it ended up kind of being a little bit funny to me (laughs) how they waltzed out of the ballroom and no one seemed to care where they went because when they're dancing, everyone around them is still and watching. It just felt funny that they would just dance right out of there and no one would bat an eye or anything. (laughs) Whereas in the adaptation, when they're dancing together and everyone's watching, I think this is one of the few moments where the medium really helped the scene because you can hear cinderella laughing as they're dancing the whole scene feels very joyous and instead of these long drawn out conversations this is where you can feel some kind of connection some kind of partnership between the two of them and i feel like it's a very sweet scene so i really like this part and i like that once everyone else starts dancing they manage to slip out undetected that feels more realistic to me but that being said this is where i stopped liking the adaptation because... As you said in the animated version, it's okay to leave these things unsaid. I feel like that makes it more powerful. And in the scene, actually, we also get a beautiful song. So this is love. Too soon to be saying the L word, in my opinion. But there's this beautiful lyric that mentions touching all the stars in the sky. And we see a shot of the reflection of the stars in a fountain or something. And it's like all the stars, all of Cinderella's wildest dreams are suddenly within her reach which i think is so beautiful whereas in the adaptation we get so much more yet it's so much less impactful they might talk but they don't talk about
1: anything that's real we already talked about why it's flawed to try to develop the relationship and i think this is another instance of them not understanding Cinderella because they don't want for the prince's interest in her to be based on looks because in the original, I guess she catches his eye because she's in this beautiful, magical dress, right? And they want in the remake for it to be based on i don't know that one time they talked in the forest but it's not reprehensible that cinderella meets and marries the prince based on this one night because literally the whole point of the ball is to find him a spouse right and for her this is a way for her to get out of her circumstances it's like another one of those how you have pointed out multiple times they keep making like oh cinderella can't Want A nice dress Cinderella can It's like one of those Yeah I don't think that Cinderella is going there To specifically Be chosen by the prince She's like Out there to have fun
0: They missed that In the adaptation too Because Cinderella's all like oh, I want to see my friend It's not because She wants to marry the prince No she just wants to see her friend She's not being opportunistic Like her sisters or something Whereas in the original It's not anything like that It's just she wants to have fun She wants to go And they're overcompensating Based on these Very
1: restrictive viewpoint of what feminism or feminist ideals should be literally you hit the nail on the head it's so fucking sexist of them to frame this choice as opportunistic like that is a very prevalent sexist thing right to view women who are ambitious or whatever as opportunistic and the fact that That this choice for them to marry the prince, or like to even want to marry the prince, it just means that they're opportunistic, is insane. Like that is an insane sexist take, and it is packaged in corporate white feminism.
0: I guess it's a part of a bigger trend or bigger issue that's reassessing these very common tropes that we've seen in fairy tales and in old stories for so long things like love at first sight or true love's kiss and all that it's being reevaluated according to not just modern standards but again they're advocating for a very specific
1: ideal of what it means to be a woman yeah we're just inherently unfeminist or whatever there's this whole thing in the remake where they misunderstand each other's stations kind of right yeah the prince is like asking her will you tell me who you we really are and i don't understand why cinderella won't tell him because they meet when she's herself and he already refers to her as like a country girl or something he was aware of her station previously. So like, it doesn't hurt Cinderella for her to say like, no, 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 this is just, I just clean up nice. So I don't understand what the conflict is here.
0: Yeah, it's not even like a proper
1: misunderstanding.
0: The resolution is Cinderella asking him whether he accepts her for who she really is. It's like he did that on day one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But at this point, the clock strikes midnight. And Cinderella rushes off and drops one of her shoes on the steps.
1: She runs away. And then, like, the palace troops go after her in both versions. I don't really understand what the deal is with that.
0: I think I kind of get it in the original because I think the duke orders it because he's so afraid of the king. Because the king wants the prince to get married. You're right. But in the adaptation, there's not really a reason. Because, yeah, the king wants his son to get married but it doesn't seem that urgent it doesn't seem like he's that menacing of a presence compared to the king in the animated
1: version it's also like the prince is with it in the remake right
0: yeah he wants to go himself and then the duke is like no the king needs you here so he agrees (laughs) to have other people sent after her which is weird i will say in the adaptation i do like how as it gets closer to midnight you can see the embellishments on the carriage turn back to vines you can see the whole metal carriage unraveling
1: i think i was too horrified by that scene a mix of the horrible special effects but also just like the idea of being crushed by the pumpkin really freaked me out it's also it
0: takes a while and they go really overboard in the adaptation like they are driving along a cliffside and there's water underneath and they nearly fall in and it's like there's already enough stakes you don't need to up the stakes to death.
1: <laughs> like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. In the original, this leads to the Duke telling the King, and things don't go very well. The King is very, very upset and he like goes to basically like decapitate the duke or something and the duke just keeps ducking away but it's a really fun scene like it's very dynamic there's a lot of motion on screen and it leads to the sequence where they're on the king's bed and they're jumping on the mattress and it sends them higher and higher and higher up into the air and it's just it's so fun and so creative and it follows the beats of the story and their conversation and it parallels the increasing agitation and danger and the peak of their argument it's just so well done i agree with every single thing you said and the only thing i
0: will say is that the remake not only sucks but it also sucks the life out of the characters because the next thing you know the king is dying and kind of almost dead yeah the king
1: dies It just didn't make me feel anything.
0: I do like how the prince's relationship with his dad is more fleshed out in this version. It's not really a part of the original movie, but I don't think that detracts anything necessarily. But I do like how in this version, since we do get more of these characters, it is nice that they flesh out their relationship. And I saw someone point this out online, actually, but it was nice to see a male character be vulnerable like that when... Something like this is happening. It's nice to not get the typical stoic man, you know, who can't cry. So that was nice. But yeah, I guess it doesn't have that much of an impact when it's like a line of dominoes. They're all toppling (laughs) one after the other. And yeah, especially because the king is lacking the personality he had in the original version. So he just kind of feels like a generic sort of figure. And we don't feel much for him, I would say.
1: I don't think I agree with you to me their relationship feels more shallow in the remake it's very straightforward there's no complexity there the king wants him to marry nobility because that's the law right he's influenced by the duke which in the remake is this evil guy but in regards to his relationship to the prince i feel like even though we don't actually see it play out on screen in the original it is in the text they do tell the story of his fucked up relationship with his kid he talks about them growing apart and stuff which is like you know normal parents stuff but also he's doing These like atrocious things that he knows are. Or, I don't know, he's uncaring that it will make his son miserable. And actually, a key moment is in this bouncy scene where they decide that the solution to find Cinderella is to fit the shoe on every eligible maiden in the kingdom. And the duke says, but this shoe can fit anyone. And the king says, not my goddamn problem. So, like, it does tell a story of the king's relationship with the prince. I don't know that it's not fleshed out or whatever in the remake it's just a very different kind of relationship and to me a much less interesting one because it's literally just like i love my dad i love my son oh no i'm dying it's the same relationship that cinderella had with her father it parallels that more than it parallels cinderella with lady tremaine which i think is a closer parallel in the original yeah that's
0: a good point we actually do get a lot about their relationship without having to see them interact At all on screen. So you're right. Much like the rest of the movie, I guess, in an effort to make it more meaningful, they actually detract from it. So
1: there's even this scene where they're not interacting with each other, but we get them on screen at the same time when the ball happens and the king is like on this balcony and he's watching the prince welcome all of these maidens, and he treats the prince as somebody in his trap, basically.
0: His intention isn't even to find a partner for the prince, really, it's to get grandkids. That's the whole reason he's going through this whole thing.
1: Yeah, so Lady Tremaine kind of gathers that Cinderella is the lady with the glass slipper and longs Cinderella away. And in the remake, there's this whole thing about lady tremaine and her backstory and i actually really like this like i like this insight into her character and this all leads to her asking cinderella if she stole the glass slippers and cinderella says no was given to her and lady tremaine says nothing is ever given you always have to pay which is like her lived experiences
0: i'm not really a fan of this scene for some reason it just it doesn't strike me as much like yeah it's interesting to get an insight into the way she sees the world i did like that line about how nothing in life is free it really contrasts cinderella's idealism and optimism but that being said her little monologue about her life didn't really tell us that much she mostly reiterated what we already know the only new information was the fact that she loved her first husband and it's already been mentioned that she's faced the same kind of loss as cinderella so we can infer that already from what has been said that grief has hardened her and turned her into the cynical woman and As for that conversation with Cinderella, when Cinderella confronts her, she's like, why are you so cruel to me? And Lady Tremaine is like, because you're young and you're beautiful and something. And and I'm... And she stops just short of saying I'm not. I don't know. It felt very cliche teenager confronting her bully in the bathroom kind of scene. Like, why are you so mean to me? And she's like, because you have everything I don't. (laughs) Yes. And... I think the stepmother's drive to be cruel to Cinderella was already clear enough. And I feel like she had more of a drive in this movie than in the original because we established that she's jealous of Cinderella's connection with her father, the fact that she can reach him emotionally when Lady Tremaine can't. That's already enough. We don't need this whole confrontation. And I think in contrast, the original does so little. But again, it's so much more impactful because all Lady Tremaine does is follow her to her room and lock her in without a word. And I love that because it's almost like it's not worth the trouble. And also the reason why I liked it so much is that it's almost Cinderella's extreme idealism that leads her to trouble in this instance. Like, yeah, she never gives up. She never relinquishes her faith. But maybe in some cases, you need to be a little bit more aware of your surroundings, Cinderella. Maybe don't hum and dance around in front of your stepmother, Cinderella. (laughs) This is almost an instance where we see Cinderella become her own downfall. I thought that was kind of an interesting facet because she's not a Mary Sue. She's not the perfect woman. Sometimes the things that are her strengths can become a weakness. So I really liked that. Whereas there's not really anything like this in the adaptation.
1: She's very one note in the remake.
0: Exactly. They already went so far with the kindness thing that they turned her into a doormat. But they don't have the self-awareness to turn that into a character flaw. It's supposed to be a positive trait that she's a doormat.
1: Yeah, I didn't like the confrontation either like no one would have this conversation in real life also i agree with you after you talked about the monologue that lady Tremaine does because i'm only now realizing we already know that she was already married before the dad i just i forgot <laughs> but now that i've been reminded i agree with you
0: and it would have been so much simpler too if the stepmother thinks she's lying and that's why she breaks the slipper as punishment. But instead, we get this very convoluted plot from the stepmother where she's like, okay, you get married to the prince and then you make me head of the household and then I get my daughters married and then I control what the prince does.
1: <laughs> they went two steps too far I think it would make sense if she's like put pro quo you give me power you give me lands you give me a title blah 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 but they went too far with it they're like and then I become the puppet master and it's like
0: we've seen that she wants wealth she wants to live a comfortable life but it doesn't seem like she's power hungry not like she wants to be a tyrant and here it makes it seem like she wants to rule the whole kingdom but it would have made more sense if she's like you give me whatever I want like I'm gonna come to you you join the the royal family and you're at my mercy from now on whenever i need something i'm gonna use you especially if
1: she thinks that cinderella stole the slippers she's like or i will tell the prince that you stole these slippers
0: and so that's reason enough for cinderella to not agree because then she's signing up to a whole lifetime
1: under her thumb
0: exactly but yeah she's locked in now
1: Cinderella right and then she like breaks the slipper right yes I like don't understand why they make this change because in the animation it's so well done it's such the perfect moment because the whole time you've been waiting for it it becomes this like mounting tension so you go through this whole movie expecting it and then you think you're safe she's about to put on the slipper and then it breaks and it's such a great moment of breaking the tension but like they actively choose to not do it and make it worse and like it doesn't fucking make sense it was such a
0: great moment also because it goes to show that until the last minute Lady Tremaine will do everything in her power to prevent Cinderella from escaping her situation it feels a lot more flat in the adaptation because there's no mounting stakes really it feels very flat whereas in the original it's like she'll lock her in her room she'll do this she'll do that and then even when it seems like we're out of the woods even then she will do what she can She will go until the very end.
1: So the sisters do try on the slipper and obviously it doesn't fit. And in the original animated movie, the mice have to steal the key from Lady Tremaine's pocket to unlock the door to Cinderella's room. And they get the help of multiple animals. This part stressed me out. I read
0: this review. It was from the Chicago Sun-Times. And it said, when those little mice bust the gut trying to drag that key up hundreds of stairs in order to free cinderella i don't care how many kubrick pictures you've seen it's still exciting
1: And so, yeah, Cinderella gets out just in time and tries on the slipper and then it breaks, but she has the other slipper, so all is well. In the adaptation, she's locked away and they're about to leave when they hear Cinderella singing. So they know there's another girl and the Duke doesn't want them to find Cinderella because he has a whole plan with Lady Tremaine, but the princess' friend is there. He's a captain. Apparently captain of the guard. And so he kind of advocates for the prince and it's like, we must find the maiden. And then the funniest moment in cinematic history happens. So everyone's
0: crowded around in front of the (laughs) non-chateau and they're about to leave. And we see a line of guards in the background. And then all of a sudden emerges... The prince.
1: (laughs) Not emerges. Some guy from beside him pulls the guard uniform off of one of the guards and reveals the prince underneath. (laughs) He's wearing a tearaway cape like a stripper.
0: It makes me wonder if all the other guards' capes are also (laughs) tearaway for emergency situations.
1: Or if he, like, specifically tailored this for this <laughs> moment, he's like, I gotta make an entrance.
0: You just see him in the background sewing <laughs> while the Duke concocts his plan. Yeah. But Yeah. The prince pops up out of nowhere and he's there and the captain of the guard is there and they force Lady Tremaine to let Cinderella try on the slipper and she reunites with the prince and... They live happily ever after, etc. Again, I feel like this aligns with everything we've talked about with Cinderella's character and how she's not allowed to want things. Because in the original, she's very upset that she can't try on the slipper. And when the animals rescue her, she actively rushes downstairs to stop them from leaving. Whereas in this version, yeah, she's upset for a second because the stepmother breaks her shoe, but then she's just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> She's just hanging out in her room singing to herself and I'm guessing that it's supposed to be a part of her selflessness and the fact that she doesn't want to marry the prince. She doesn't want material gain. She doesn't want anything but it comes off as her kind of just not caring or I don't know it takes away from her character.
1: Yeah it takes away any agency and any character motivation that she has. It's also like What does she want then? Like, as a character, what is her character motivation if she's not allowed to want anything? Not even this. She wants to be nice to everyone. (laughs) Also, I think even more of a muddying of the message, there's this moment where she's finally talking with the prince and they say something to the effect of to be seen as you truly are as part of the message. And I'm like, they literally crammed every single generic motto they can find into this movie. It's so frustrating.
0: I did like that line coming from the prince because usually... It's, you know, the character who's more at a seeming disadvantage, who's like marrying into money, who was like, can you accept me for my, you know, inadequate background? But I kind of liked it coming from The Prince because it acknowledges that, you know, he's not all that great. <laughs> There's issues. But that being said, I just liked it as a standalone thing. I didn't like it as a part of the movie.
1: I. Like it even less because it's coming from the prince. I feel like it's such a common generic trope for the rich guy or the royal or whatever to be like, I want to be seen as me, not as a rich dude. It's such a lazy way of getting to this point as well because there wasn't really any arc with the prince about this it's just something they tacked on at the end but yeah anyway
0: when cinderella's about to leave with the prince she sees lady tremaine standing on the steps and her last words to her stepmother are
1: i forgive you truly like she's not allowed to be anything but nice yeah yeah <laughs> I think my conclusion now that we've discussed it thoroughly and I stand by this like this isn't a joke or anything I think this is a sexist movie yeah they posit a world in which a woman can only be good if she is nice and nothing else she's not allowed to want anything she's not allowed to have any ambition she's not allowed to have any personality or attitude or anything she's not allowed to be flawed she has to forgive everybody like I don't want to say problematic not because that's like a overused or like because it's too severe word but because it's not bad enough this is a deeply sexist movie in a way that really highlights what is wrong with this kind of thinking this commodified shiny packaged quote-unquote feminism and why it is inherently sexist and conservative and fucked up well said oh they also have a wedding and she's in an awful wedding dress but who cares yeah Clearly, the fairy godmother did not show up again because she would have never <laughs> let Cinderella get married in the dress.
0: I was just going to say, it's ironic that we are comparing this movie made in 2015 to one made in the 50s, and the 50s one comes out
1: more progressive. Yeah. So, in absurd conclusion, the fairy godmother never wants to see Cinderella again because she broke her glass slippers that she gave out of the goodness of her heart. And that's why she didn't help with Cinderella's wedding dress. That would
0: explain it. Another absurd conclusion everyone in the Royal Guard wears <laughs> these <laughs> uniforms that you can pull away. <laughs>
1: oh my God. In case there are any impromptu bachelorette parties or bachelor <laughs> parties <laughs> around,
0: best believe they were there for Cinderella's and the princess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Any snacks you would pair with this movie? Not the remake, because we're not watching it again. (laughs) But the original. Maybe pumpkin pie? Cheese! Ooh. Yeah, gotta have some cheese for the mice. Some French treats, I guess. Yeah, with some tea. Hopefully not with a mouse in the cup.
1: (laughs) Ooh. Anyway, now that we've discussed this movie in excruciating detail, what are your thoughts on this movie? Have your opinions changed? Are you scarred for life? Because I am. (laughs) This is truly a horror episode. Yeah, me too. Me too. (laughs) Especially
0: coming to the conclusion at the end that we were basically calling a 1950s movie more progressive than one that was made a mere not even 10 years ago was horrifying. I think I will end with yet another review that I think sums up how I feel about not only this remake but also the others that we've had since. It's from the San Francisco Chronicle about the 2015 version and it says the movie grinds down in plot details that fatten the narrative while deflating the spirit and that just captures my whole opinion of this movie and also as I said the remakes we've seen since because it feels like they are trying to overcompensate and fill in gaps that don't necessarily Need filling. And in doing that, they are essentially undermining and ruining everything that was fun and original and interesting and complicated about the original movies, in this case, Cinderella. And going into it, I hadn't seen either movie in a while. So I didn't really have that much of an opinion, but overall my impression was that this remake isn't that bad. Like especially compared to the more recent ones, I felt like it was more inoffensive and the high Rotten Tomatoes rating corroborated that. But having gone through it now and realized the sinister undertones and sometimes not even undertones, they're like overtones. I can't fathom why it has such a high rating. What are people not seeing? What did I not see when I first watched this movie? It's kind of scary to be honest that this movie was so successful and that these remakes continue to be so successful. And I wouldn't recommend watching it at all. The original has everything you could want in a movie, in a fairy tale retelling, in an animation, in a musical. It's got so much more heart and character and spirit. So yeah, that's my long winded opinion. What is yours?
1: Yeah, I agree. The remake is just not even worth hate watching or whatever. It's so boring. There's nothing in it. But to follow your lead, I will also bring up the critical reception and everything. But I saw so many reviews, whether positive or negative, talk about how this is just a faithful telling of the fairy tale, the original fairy tale. And now that we've discussed this movie, I vehemently disagree because they, like I've already said a million times, they missed the point of every single part of this tale. They did not tell this fairy tale. They told a whole different story that used the same story beats as Cinderella. Every single turn of the story, they fuck up the real, reason for it happening, the motivation, the story it is trying to tell, the message it is trying to convey, everything about it is wrong. It is literally an entirely different story dressed up as Cinderella and it's just very bad and I don't think anyone should see this.
0: It's so insidious it feels like that this billion dollar company is profiting off of the nostalgia of the original story while perpetuating such harmful ideals under the guise of nostalgia and feminism and reintroducing this classic story to a new
1: generation
0: if they want to revisit the classic revisit the actual classic it still exists yeah
1: the brown tomato score and the critical reception and everything i think is a terrifying and fitting mirror To the political climate, and perhaps it was a warning sign for years to come.
0: It's either that people don't see anything wrong with it, or those who might are just not paying enough attention.
1: That's literally it. They don't bother to pay attention as long as they're being distracted by something that seems beautiful, that isn't even actually beautiful. It just seems like it should be beautiful. Like it's glossy and it's shiny, and it doesn't challenge anything. About your beliefs and your ideals. And it merely is generic enough and malleable enough to conform to your views while slipping in these really fucked up ideals and beliefs. And it's really sad. (laughs) So let's get off this horror train that we're on. And highly recommend the nineteen fifty Cinderella movie. For sure. That's it for this episode. If you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Instagram, the graveyard slot podcast on Tumblr, or email us at the at gmail.com.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of the graveyard slot.